This is the, the Living Permaculture Show. It's Jerome Ossentowski. We are going to have uh, Vanessa joining us here shortly. Um, we have a special guest. It's Mateus Rader from the uh, Mushroom Farm. What is your mushroom farm? Toadstool Traditions. Great. And uh, Vanessa is going to lead us off and uh, has a bunch of uh, questions for you about your... Uh, your operation, and okay. uh, how long have you been growing mushrooms over there in Chetank? Oh, in Chetank, three years. Uh-huh. Um, in Carbondale, five years on and off. No, closer to nine yeah. in a variety yeah. of locations. Yeah. But That's, that's amazing. And um, uh, there are lots of different ways you uh, market them, and one of them is through a CSA. Yeah, uh, mostly during the winters so far. This is our second year for CSA. Um, mostly farmers markets during the summer, and the website toadstooltraditions.com is year round. Um, Lion's Mane tincture was our main product there, but right now we're taking sign ups for the CSA. So great! And so, are we ready to have Vanessa on? And Just about. <laughs> I think we're having a little. Difficulty there, but um, well, uh, what what actually what mushrooms? How many different varieties do you grow? Um, regularly, four: a variety of oysters, lion's mane, and let's see, uh, chestnut mushroom. It's been a while. We've had some serious contamination lately, so I feel like I haven't grown in ages. But that has been sorted, and the CSA is on schedule for February. Yeah, we had uh, you've been coming up to Crimpy and uh, and playing around in the greenhouse with uh, with Nathan from over in the Gypsum area. Um, doing, uh, we're in the process of inoculating uh, one of my pathways uh, mm-hmm. with wood chips and uh, uh, garden giant. Right, and um, you brought over all those spores, and I'm going to wet down, wet the wood chips down really good this mm-hmm. week, and uh, um, so we're going to have uh, archery over wood chips, <laughs> archery over mushrooms. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, archery over mushrooms. That's the final thing. Wood chips are there, and uh, I've been shooting my bow again, and so uh, I've been uh, had fun. To, um, so in permaculture, we always have what we call stacking, right? Mm-hmm. And just do one thing. So sure. in my pathways, in my upper pathways, we do worm farming. Mm-hmm. My lower pathways, um, no one ever does anything in their pathways, right? They they just walk in them. They walk in <laughs> them, right, and compact them. So we have uh, we have other functions, other yields. And mm-hmm. We're called gain of function. You know, okay. Oh, we've been hearing about that. And not just one <laughs> function. We can get two or three functions. Mm-hmm. We gain two or three functions. Otherwise, otherwise why bother? Yeah. Um, Maximize space. So we'll space. be uh, growing mushrooms um, on the wood chips, walking over the wood chips to get our arrows. Yeah. And um, and we have lots of things on the other side, back and forth on on the bed down below. And so um, it looks like we're still having some. Some issues, but you know you have um, you have Vanessa's cheat sheet there. Why I don't do. we just go ahead and um, 
Sure. Uh, just get on with it Start here. Start from um, the top. Let's see. Origin story. Um, organic farming. Um, you want to talk right into your mic? Yeah. Um, mushrooms as an offshoot from organic farming. Uh, I've been 10 years in the valley working with the mushrooms, and that is kind of just my specialty. Um, I prefer mycelium over dirt for some reason, um, so that's where I've focused my life and attention, and um, there needs to be more quality mushrooms out there. There's tons of mushroom products in the world today, many of which are a waste of time and money. So I've made a vow to produce high potency, high quality, and fresh mushroom products. Yeah, well, I've experimented with uh, uh, some of your products and really uh, I've gotten lots of benefit from them. And um, well, let's talk a little bit about that new law that went into effect um, in Colorado that uh, mm-hmm. legalizes uh, Prop 122. Mm-hmm. What do you know about that? Um, very little. Uh, I guess since it's still being articulated, uh, it's super vague at the moment. And I guess they're going to really be tying it together in 2024. So this next year is kind of just knitting what the proposition really means. Um that's really as far as I know. I'm interested in getting involved in that. I feel, I guess, regulation is a mature approach to such a mysterious set of compounds. Um, the willy-nilly approach works for a lot of people, but for many, many people, that's not enough to make a lasting change. So having therapy in conjunction with this psychedelic use seems to be what makes a more lasting impression in people's psyches and emotional bodies. So I'm all for it. Well, I think you said your wife is a a practitioner and would be probably that would work with you and maybe set up a practice that would uh, walk people through uh, their... Yeah, possibly. Um, Yeah, the one-on-one model seems to really be uh, kind of maximizing the experience for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are group models that work as well, but the one-on-one really allows the freedom for someone to emotionally let go of whatever it is they're holding on to and being constrained by. So the one-on-one therapeutic model uh, is kind of what I see saving the world and the alternative that to that is uh, microdosing yeah yeah so the, you really don't need anybody around to hold your hand if you right microdose depending on what it is you're trying to treat and the depth of your emotional wounds yeah a lot of people would benefit from just microdosing um and then maybe the occasional macrodose in a therapeutic session Mm-hmm. Um, or in a one-on-one session where they know they're safe and can open up to yeah, those. Um, and so right now it's legal for people to to grow it and right. and use it. And right, and give it away and mm-hmm. share it and mm-hmm. consume it in their own yeah. homes. Interesting. Uh, 
And you know, Nate comes over. He has a, a he's a grow over in in, in Gibson area, and mm-hmm. he he actually grows San Pedro cactus. Mm-hmm. He has other qualities, um, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. You can you can legally sell the plant. Uh, seems so. Yeah, I don't think San Pedro has ever been scheduled. Um, the isolated molecule has been, but there's no need to take it that far. You can just make a tea. Yeah, and he actually makes a living selling the potted plants. So, and yeah, they're they're gorgeous. Yeah, I have uh, I, I saw photos of his greenhouses. You know, nothing but San Pedro. It's like mm. in pots, and and he has about a hundred. Ten varieties. I think we'll have him on our show here. Yeah, that'd be great. Soon, and um, and we've had San Pedro growing in our cactus area for a long time. And mm-hmm. uh, in fact, I'm going to give you one of the ones that fell over and we've mm-hmm. repotted it. Um, but um, I just I just like it having it around. It actually flowered last year once. Oh yeah, yeah, awesome. And it, yeah, and it looks the, the flower is identical to a dragon fruit. Oh, okay. You know, it's about five, six inches giant or long, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And uh, but it didn't, uh, it didn't pollinate, so mm-hmm. we didn't get any fruit off. Oh, of that. I see. Uh, and I haven't been able to get uh, the dragon fruit to fruit, but flowers a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's we, probably one of the only blossoming San Pedros in the state of Colorado. <laughs> I, I, well, he, I think he gets it to blossom. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Um, but it's a very easy th- plant to grow, and um, and uh, do you, can you? How many different psychedelic mushrooms do you grow? With or are you are you doing now? Uh, um, zero. Oh, um, I'm focused on the lion's mane and okay. the fresh mushrooms for market. Okay. Um, as the legislation evolves, I am interested in um doing a legal situation with, uh, I believe the way they've worded it in the proposition is kind of therapeutic. How did they word it? Anyway, in conjunction with therapists, uh-huh. uh, it's going to be like a network. It's, That's how that will work. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I like that model. As I said, I think that really gets to the root of people's issues more so than willy nilly yeah, right. dosings. And, um, so you also sell at uh, Mana Foods as well, right? Uh, I have in the past. Um, I, I must. We're a small farm, so our volume doesn't really allow the wiggle room necessary for whole wholesale accounts uh, yet. Um, possibly looking to expand this year uh, to another greenhouse that may give us the volume necessary for whole food or uh, wholesale. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Satantar at Mana Foods would be one of the first, first clients. Yeah, and we we had some luck um, growing mushrooms outside uh, this this last summer. Uh, they were inoculated the previous year, and mm-hmm. it, uh, um, we had wine caps and then we had oysters on okay on wine caps on wood chips and oysters on uh, cottonwood logs. Mm-hmm. And we had some beautiful flushes, but sure. just when we were ready to um, harvest them, mm-hmm. either the deer or the um, the chipmunks oh, came really? and ate them. And okay, we, we waited an extra day a couple of times, and then we did get some flushes. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll 
we'll probably be able to get some other uh, flushes next year off of that same. Yeah, hopefully. The cottonwood is a much softer wood, um, so the they tend to fruit fast and kind of peter out quickly in a, a season or two. Um, if we had hardwoods like uh, oak, um, we do have some maple around here. It's kind of few and far in between to get the proper maple tree um, to inoculate, which would last several seasons hey, what of about, flushings. What about the scrub oak? Uh, if you get it large enough? Uh, sure. About six, yeah. six to eight inches? Of, yeah, you could yeah as long as you get it in the wintertime when the uh, cambium layer is kind of adhered to the inner layers um you want the tree in its dormant state so okay. that the bark does not slough off good oh, it looks like we have uh, a technical problem sorted out now uh, vanessa you're on the on the line now hi everybody can you hear me yeah hello yes we can oh good and um we sort of had to run with this so uh um where are we at with our uh, <laughs> with our uh, where are we questions at? and answers here uh um, micro remedies and habitat restoration um, is a dream of mine. Habitat restoration turns out is quite complicated, um, even on a small scale, um, it much more so on a large scale, like a, a, a drill pad or some maybe cattle pasture runoff along a river mm-hmm. would be uh, a substantial project to address. But that is on tap eventually um but right now it's just kind of medicinal mushrooms and fresh mushrooms for market so i can keep the lights on and the farm running and what would you what, what species of mushrooms would you use for uh, rehabilitation of- um garden giant is one of the best ones it is highly resistant to contamination it prefers can uh competition uh, it kind of gets bored uh when it's isolated in its own environment so in the presence of say fecal coliform runoff it would do really well it would thrive it would eat the coliform bacteria and filter that way all the bad stuff out and and then could you eat those mushrooms then you could yeah um assuming you're not accidentally getting the stem butts that have some of the ground material um Mm -hmm. but since mushrooms um they're kind of like the molecular unlockers they break everything they eat down to their basic elemental form Mm -hmm. so as long as it's not a heavy metal or something that's in its simplest form it won't be uptaken it'll be dissolved now if you did that on a drill pad you would have to work with uh uh, chemical spills and oil spills. And right, and most of that, uh, say hydrocarbons, is a complex molecule of hydrogen and uh, carbon. So the mushrooms would separate that molecule into simply hydrogen and carbon, and it would no longer be a petroleum product, for example. Um, and then those, again, would be safe to eat because the mushrooms have broken it down into its elemental forms. And is, uh, what, what species would be good for that again? Uh, I mean, a variety of species. I always say garden giant initially because it works so well in just... Everywhere. Everywhere, just on the ground, in wood chips, in pretty much any kind of wood chips. Mm-hmm. 
Oyster mushrooms would do really well as well. They would need a little bit more preparation, but they could work on a large scale, say a berm along a river side as well. Well, Stamens has done some, uh, you know, research in, on, on radiation and uh, sure, uh, you know, there seems like there's some mushroom that eats anything. There is, yeah, um, they have found glorious flushes of a certain type. I think oyster in the Chernobyl reactor, no sunlight, and literally just feeding off of the radiation. Wow, amazing! Right. It seems like here in Colorado there could be an application for reclaiming mined areas using mushrooms. Right. Uh, to Yeah, it would stabilize the erosion, uh, the runoff, um, and then, yeah, it would isolate those heavy metals. And then you could transport those mushrooms to a safer area away from the eroded space leading to the rivers. Um Maybe up at the coal mine, they could use uh, some mushroom growing. Maybe that's some place you should check into. Uh, yeah, well, that's where it gets complicated because um, mushrooms are 90% water. They require lots of water um, kind of constantly. So in these arid kind of barren places, that would be the challenge as to how to keep the the kind of the base material moist enough for the mushroom mycelium to continue mm-hmm. running. That's why you only go mushroom hunting after a nice heavy rain, right? Totally, yeah. 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 And hopefully not in one of these uh, runoff zones. (laughs) You want to be aware of where the mushrooms you're picking have been growing. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, I think we've had a pretty good mushroom uh, uh, harvesting on Basalt Mountain after the fire. I think the... uh, People yeah. have been getting some morels, morels right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, tremendous variety. Uh, it's still pretty mysterious, the fire morels. I don't know, uh, a dozen or more different species of morels growing alongside each other in the same zone, feeding off the same burn material. And um, that's basically in the areas that were burnt, so there's all this ash. And yeah, yeah, they're kind of like a stage one remediator kind of a pioneer species of reclamation after a disaster like that. Oh, then you know then you know then the different pioneer weeds come in like uh oh god, well fireweed is one and that then, makes sense. Uh, lupin uh, like okay. after St. Helens. Mm-hmm. They were trying to figure out what pioneer species would be the one to start everything going and it turned out it was the lupin. Okay. That was kind of the, the the first one on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then everything else followed and sued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lupin, one and of I, the most fractally looking plants <laughs> in the forest. I I it grows up on Basalt Mountain, and I I've always been collecting the seeds, but I can never get it to germinate down on my swales. Hmm. Maybe just, you got to burn them. I just haven't tried it hard enough. I guess you know. Maybe adding some wood ash could trigger some response yeah it's it's a real interesting plant and, and plant and um it's kind of it's toxic to animals i think oh yeah yeah at least the seeds are anyway hmm. yeah so but lupin is a great nitrogen fixer and it's a uh, bee fodder and um, sure seems like everything that's considered a weed has a has, has a, a use right has yeah. a use and yeah. a step in the process of overall environment health right well vanessa do you have another question for mateo 
Well, I'll just say we look forward to seeing Mateo branch into habitat restoration in the future. But I want to make sure that we uh, heard enough about um, Mateo's offerings and how they're available for our listeners. Um, did you talk about your CSA? Uh, briefly. Um, yeah, starting February. So two weeks from now, there's still some slots available. Um, go to toadstooltraditions.com and get all your options there. Um, and we'll be dropping off, or there will be a pickup every Wednesday from February to April uh, at the launch pad. So that was the centralized pickup spot. And, and I noticed it goes through May. Is that for production reasons, or is it because you transition to the farmer's market? Exactly. June? Yep, transition to the farmer's market. Um, we're doing Carbondale on Wednesdays and Aspen on Saturdays. So, and Aspen runs pretty long. So that's kind of our focus during the summer. And what kind of mushrooms can people expect in the CSA and at the farmer's markets? Um, initially we've got a black king oyster, which is an amazing mushroom all the way around. Uh, tastes good, super nice, soft stem. Uh, big bulbous things that you can fry and saute. Uh, lion's mane, of course, that's our main product all around. Um, chestnut mushroom and a couple of wild cultivated, excuse me, wild um, collected oysters uh -huh. that have proven to be pretty decent indoors as well. So that's always fun to get some local strains. For those that you grow, what type of media are you using? Uh, they are on hardwood sawdust mixed with organic soybean hulls. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Pretty much everybody grows on them, um, except for maybe some dung-loving mushrooms. But anything that likes wood or grows on a tree grows in this mix, um, which is great because soybean hulls are a total waste product which there's probably millions of tons of it available uh not right, so much you're choosing non-organic oh yeah yeah i, I wish i could cheat <laughs> i wish i could cheat and go non-organic but <laughs> of all crops to go organic soy is certainly one of them you can't use GMO soybean calls well in theory you could um like i was saying the mushrooms are the molecular unlockers exactly. it would break down the glyphosate and i have a blue oyster that will literally grow on nothing but glyphosate so it wow. certainly knows how to break it down and utilize it as a food source oh. but i'm i i mean there's only two ingredients so i'm just going with the what i can get in organic which is the soy hulls and just being around it i don't really want to breathe in the dust of the soy hulls um, with that much glyphosate in my personal right, right. environment. And so. we talked about coffee grounds, and I've been collecting a lot of coffee grounds from <coughs> Starbucks and from my worm farm. Yeah. And uh, we're, we have a little mushroom room in, in my greenhouse that we're working on mm -hmm. getting up and going. And uh, we're talking about doing you know, straw and a mixture of coffee grounds. Yeah, and, yeah uh, that'd work. See if that would work. Um so I've been getting the coffee grounds, and then I just leave them outside, and they freeze, so they're okay. stable that way. Yeah. 
you were having some problems with using it because they mold right away. Long say uh, that was mostly from the source. It was a much lower traffic coffee shop yeah. than Starbucks. Um, Starbucks, since they're going through so much, you're getting it fresh from that day. Um, right. um, and that was the main distinction there. Uh, I I use it in my worm farms, and I think it does seem to work well. Um, I can't use the spent grain from the brewery. For some reason, the worms don't like that very huh, well. Really? The chickens and rabbits and ducks love it, but uh, I just got uh, you know, six barrels from Kelly at the That's beer, fascinating. beer works. And, um, and I just leave it outside in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. It freezes, and I bring it inside, and then I can use it. Uh, it's stable for the whole winter that way. That's awesome. And, and I have snow banks uh, that I can just use to... Okay. To keep it uh, from going off, but I'm, I'm I'm excited about coming up with our own little mushroom farm there. Sure. See how that all plays out. But, um, Do you think the worms get caffeinated from the I, grains? I, and I, that's what I, I mean, they would, because you know when they make coffee at Starbucks, they don't take very much of the caffeine out. Sure. Because it's um it's like goes through this really fast press. Yeah. Flash and steamed. So um. I'm sure there's caffeine in there, so mm-hmm. my my worms are caffeinated. Uh, <laughs> Chewing ever so faster. And usually I am, too, in the morning. So Sure. Uh, <laughs> That's a good team so, effort. So, <laughs> somebody, somebody well, Mateo, it seems like these days uh, micro-remedies have become ever more popular. Um, can you talk about what gives your products an edge over the others mm. and how you've come to compare some of your competitors' products? Sure. Um, largely, my advantage is freshness. Um, that kind of seems to be a common thread through all organic produce and products. The freshness is kind of unmatched. It's like a secret ingredient. Um However, the freshness, including the tincture, there's a trade-off for shelf life. Um, So the shelf life of the tinctures that I make uh, is probably in the few to handful of months, whereas of the stuff you get from the grocery store will probably last a year or more, um, but it will have way less potency because they're filtering out a lot of the sediment and therefore a lot of the beta-glucans and all the medicinal compounds in order to produce a more shelf-stable product. Uh, Same with the fresh mushrooms uh, in any grocery store. Most of them are coming from a centralized distributor or from a farm in the front range, and the quality is just not there because they're already a couple weeks old by the time they hit the grocery store. Interesting. Um, And you know what? The whole idea, the concept of microdosing, is is really, I think, what could be should be focused on because it's actually one of the kind of the biodynamic principles too. Is the you know, the natural law, the law of just enough. Okay. And the law of a little bit. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's, we could consider it uh, homeopathic, but right. Um, you know, we tend to use too much of everything, right? Seems like it, and then we overdose, uh, whether whether it's food, yeah. food or, and then we adapt to that over, that regular overdose. And then yeah, so I, I like the idea of the you know the psychedelic mushroom that in a tincture where you just take a couple of drops and it you know it takes the edge off the day and it, yeah, uh, you know you don't 
the anxiety is not there. Right. Yeah, it's stimulating, seems to be stimulating your serotonin receptors without actually flooding them, like um, SSRI, for example, uh, one of the most popular categories of antidepressant. Um, And those take months to get on and off of, um, which speaks to the kind of long-term ness of the serotonin system so yeah all these plants that have been legalized in or decriminalized with prop 122 are in that serotonergic category where it is kind of a long game of remedy instead of a dopamine roller coaster you know and it's a great substitute for alcohol i mean we have you know major you know, alcohol abuse now and suicide. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's about time they came up with something that mm-hmm. that is really benign and, mm-hmm. and works. And yeah. Um, yeah, dosage is the poison on everything. Um, yeah. Small amounts of alcohol. Well, Mark, yeah, we're we're <laughs> excited that you can be at the forefront of the wave of myco remedies and habitat remediation with mushrooms, and also in the future the healing centers that will be start to develop toward the end of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to have to close our show for today, and I'm yeah. sorry I had to join you late, but I want to make sure people know that they can reach you at toadstooltraditions.com where there's a contact page and links to your Facebook and Instagram accounts, and they can also sign up for your newsletters. So thank you for doing the amazing work you're doing and harnessing the magical forces of fungi. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll see you next month, and we're going to have Sarah Montgomery on from Guatemala. She was a a student of mine, and we were going to talk about her project inside Guatemala. 